0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're going to continue in our worship and time together as we go to God's Word. Here's where we receive God's instruction. We receive His Word and learn from it. We come with hearts ready ready to hear, Uh, ears that are open and hearts that are uh, softened and ready to receive what He has to say. So today we're actually in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to, to kind of find that because we've been jumping around uh, this, the last few weeks now in this short mini-series where we're not staying in a book of the Bible, but we're in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 4 this morning. Uh, let's read and then it has for us today. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness In deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. We've mentioned the goal of this little mini-series, Has been to rediscover God's purpose and identity and practice for the church, the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for the church, literally meaning the called-out ones. We are called out from the world. We are brought together. We are indwelt by His presence, and we are going. We do this as we answer very critical questions. Questions like, who is the church? How do we get along? Which we tackled last week. And this week, we asked the question, who leads? Who leads? Everyone knows what a pastor is, right? Everyone knows what a pastor is. Even if you are not a Christian or is this your first time in a church building, you know what a pastor is. But what a pastor does, that really depends on who you ask. And it depends maybe which church you're in. According to some of you, pastors. Only work 35 minutes a week. And I, I want you to know, I'm here the entire service. And so it's like a little more than that. It's like an hour, hour ten, okay? Some of you might get the impressions, impression that pastors just spend their time like throughout the week in their office just reading their Bibles, just deep in, in godly reflection, three, four, five hours a day. I mean, are you really a good Christian if you're not reading through your lunch break? just studying God's word. Or maybe you have a, a, another picture of a pastor, the ones that, that spend their days visiting hospitals and helping neighbors in need. Or maybe there's a different image of the one who you see this angry lecturer waving his Bible in the air and calling you to repentance. Some think of a pastor, when you think of a pastor, you only think of hurt and betrayal. And... Reasons not to trust people in authority, especially people in authority in the church. And so maybe it's safe to say that we have a pretty vague understanding of the pastor. A vague understanding, and, 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 and even an understanding that's highly tied to our experiences rather than from God's word. I think it's safe to say that. Good experiences and bad experiences. And our, our passage today really It helps, I think, to change that vague understanding and impression that we have of those who lead the church, those who are called to lead as pastors and elders, and enables us to rediscover God's purpose for those who are called to lead in positions like that. For those who are called to be impacted by their influence, which is the rest of the church. We learn in our passage about this purpose of leadership in the church It's to do three things, to equip the church to use their gifts, to teach sound doctrine, and to set an example of godliness. Let's look at these together, to equip the church to use their gifts. Here's the situation. Paul is, is writing to this church. It's here in this region where the Apostle Paul is writing letters to these small house churches that are scattered around this region. And in these churches, you have People of various ethnic and social and religious backgrounds. And not just that, but people that are very different in personality and preference. And Paul addresses it head on. And he says, in order for us to live out this grand calling that we have as the body of Christ, this grand calling in our spiritual transformation and in our cultural transformation, we need to realize two things, that we are the same. And then in other ways, we are very, very different. And both of these are to our benefit We talked so much last week about the ways that we are the same. We won't get into that much this week. The unity of the gospels, Paul reminds us, we have one calling. We have one savior. We have one Lord, one God, one father, one spirit who fills us and unites us. We are baptized with one baptism, one identity that is supreme over any other identity we might have in the world. And that unites us in our differences. But what Another thing we need to realize is that we are very different, and that is such a good thing. Differences that are not meant to be exploited and competed against, but differences that are meant to build one another up. And one way we are different is that God calls some to be pastors and others he doesn't. And one of the roles of pastor is to help the church to recognize their spirit and Abled differences, and to use those differences not for their own benefit, but the benefit of the church, which, which Paul calls the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that when we uh, receive the grace of God, we become this new spirit-born person. It gives to us each a, a, a measure of grace that gives us a special ability in the form of a spiritual gift So that we can use that ability to serve him and one another in a variety of different ways. This grace, literally, this gift that he gives us, is given directly by Jesus according to how he sees fit. This special gift that he gives to you, he knows you and sees you and equips you, and he gives it to you as he deems appropriate. Your gift is given on purpose and not by mistake. The gifts that others have that you don't are are good. And as you recognize those, you should be grateful that you don't have them, grateful that they've been given to the other, grateful for the, the gifts that you have been given. Here he lists apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers, and, and there's some debate over the, the precise definition and nuances of each, but, but this much is clear, that Jesus gives unique leadership gifts to those who oversee the spiritual and relational help health of the body of Christ, the church. And these terms are sometimes used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, pastor, elder, overseer, and one of the ways that pastors use their gifts is to help Christians to more faithfully use their gifts to serve the church. We have nursery sign-ups in the welcome area after the service. See, this isn't just a strategy. This is like my job description is to equip you to use your gifts to bless the people around you. This isn't just a, a practical or pragmatic uh, usage of people and resources for the, keeping our church alive and keeping the lights on. It's a spiritual calling that we have to use our gifts for the high calling of our own spiritual transformation and the growth of our church. I bet you didn't think that a sermon about the role of a pastor would really be a sermon about your role as a church member. Some teach. Some are sent out to plant churches to reach distant people all around the world. Some reveal God's word. Some comfort people in the midst of their agony and suffering. Some lead. Others follow. So many different Gifts, many different ways to minister and to serve. And this list is not meant to be exhaustive, but rather to show us that our unity does not mean that we all do the same thing or in the same way, but whatever we do, our purpose is for others. Whatever we do and however we use our gifts, our purpose is for the high calling of building up the body of Christ. And part of the role of the pastors and elders and shepherds of the church is to equip you for that mindset, but also for opportunities to live that out more faithfully. This is a picture of a 1936 Lincoln Town car, a beautiful vehicle. A beautiful vehicle, one of the most beautiful vehicles I've ever seen with my own eyes. And one of my jobs as a a youth growing up in, in northern Kentucky was to wash my neighbor, Mr. Wendling's 1936 Lincoln town car every month. And here's how it would work. I would go over to his house. He would open up his garage door. He would pull out the car. I would remove the cover off of the car and wash it and put a coat of wax on it and then put the cover back on and back into the garage it went. And month after month, year after year, I did this every month. And I said, do you ever drive this car? And he said, absolutely not. Why would I drive it? I I can't risk taking it out and something happening to it. It's just meant to be beautiful and to stay in the garage. It didn't make sense to me to not enjoy this beautiful car. It doesn't make sense to us when we've been given gifts that could be admired, used for our own pleasure and for the, the pleasure of others. Does it make sense when Jesus gives us good things to not use them in ways that they were designed to be used? You see, we covet, we admire, we, we love the strengths that we have, and, and many of us will spend much of our time and energy improving our strengths just not to use them for the good of others. In verse 12, when Paul says that the purpose of pastors is in part to equip the saints for the work of ministry, this literally means the work of service. That's the word for ministry, the work of service. Pastors are to equip, to convince, to employ the body of Christ, God's people, into acts of service for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? That the role of the pastor is to help you live out your calling to serve others. We have some needs. We need some help. Would you consider giving your time to this? That's our job description. I, I, I love the word here used for the, what, the work that Christians do. The work that Christians do here is the word energia. It's not Italian, it's Greek. And, and, and here it's energia in verse 16. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Working. Energy. That's the word here. It, it, he said the, the purpose here is that we would put forth blood, sweat, and tears to build others up. That is your calling when everyone is putting energy into it, when we're putting our back into the work of ministry, putting elbow grease into the work of serving others, the purpose of our calling as God's out in our midst, which produces encouragement and joy, which produces the advancement of the gospel, not only in our hearts and lives, but in our community and into the world. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Who on earth <laughs> said that? <laughs> if you love your church, you will serve it. And when you serve it, it will be hard. That's actually the, the identity of it. This is, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energia. And this is our calling is it actually to, to expend energy, even to the point of of tiredness for one another. Blood, sweat, and tears, that's the mission of every Christian. And it's the calling of pastors to provide pathways for you to live out that calling and also to be an example of it. But it takes so much of my energy away. That's literally the Greek word for it. (laughs) Ministry just takes so much of me. It's what it's designed to do. But it causes me to have to give up something that I would rather be doing. That's the definition of service. (laughs) And so what Paul is saying here is our calling is to serve and to expend energy in our serving that will produce a mutual blessing in our lives you realize that ministry would be so much fun if it were not for all the serving and energy required. Right? I really want to be a part of ministry and in the lives of others, and I want to have impact in the world. But it just requires so much serving and energy. That's what it's designed to do. Not every Christian is called to full-time vocational ministry, but every Christian is called to the work of ministry the energy of serving others. Why? Because our passage says we're joined together, held together by joints and ligaments, and we work properly when we support one another. It's a beautiful picture of the body. Some of you know, last November, I had a back injury that injured two discs in my lower back. Never felt a pain like that. The most excruciating kind of pain I've ever experienced. For months, I couldn't be on my feet for more than five minutes at a time. I had radiating pain down both of my legs and numbness in my feet. There were even times I was on narcotic pain pills preaching to you on Sunday morning, barely even able to stand up. I don't remember those days. I think I was here. I'm sorry, <laughs> I need to apologize to any of you for things that were said. Went to physical therapy and they, you know, told me that this injury is caused not because there's a weakness in my spine, but it's your spine is fine, your back is fine, it's that your core is too weak. And I said, it really hurts my feelings when you say things like that, <laughs> right? No, you have this band of muscles. You have these ligaments and, and, and little muscles, these, all these things that are connected together and they're there to support your back when your back receives weight and does the work that you're meant to do with your body. It holds it in place and it keeps it supported. And when those supportive tissues and muscles are weak, then your back will fail under the pressure of just the work that you need to do. And I'm so happy to tell you that thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of therapy later, my core is still very weak. <laughs> <laughs> but scripture is saying that this is how it works in the church as well. That, that everything is connected, that we are connected, that, that we have supportive roles, that we have, you know, this is how they described it. There's like, they're like there's beach muscles and then there's, you know, supportive muscles. <laughs> there's the muscles that, you, you know, everyone can see, and then there's muscles that no one can see, but those are really, really, really important. You may have a, a role and a calling and a gift that isn't up front and, and everybody can see. You might, might serve in mundane ways, but, but, if, but if you are not supporting the work of ministry and what God has called you to do, if you're not using those gifts, then things will fail around you and hurt and suffer. To neglect the use of our own gift is to the detriment of our own body. To love your own spiritual health is to love your church. To love the church, to serve the church, is to invest in your own spiritual health. You will not regret it. Work those muscles. Do those stretches. Do those exercises. But it just takes so much work. But it will make you healthy. It will help you grow from from infancy and immaturity to spiritual maturity. Growing up, being able to do and to live out the calling that God has given you to do. If you are a Christian, you are gifted to serve the body of Christ. But asking you to serve, which we do a lot of, is not the only job description of a pastor. Another is to teach sound doctrine. And the equipping ministry of the pastor is centered on and grounded in the teaching ministry of the pastor. Whatever we ask of you and and encourage of you is grounded in what God has told us from His Word. One of the main things that sets pastors apart from others is that they must be able to teach. So that, as it says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So that we would grow up into maturity, so that we would be guarded from error, would not fall into deceit and the tricks of culture or even the deceitfulness of our own imagination and hearts. That doesn't mean that every elder or pastor... It's to step into the pulpit and enthrall you with wisdom and wit, but it does mean that when you're struggling to understand the Bible or how to handle a tough situation, you know you can seek counsel in an elder in the church, and you will be given a biblical answer. that you will be led to the truth of God's word, that you will be encouraged in the wisdom of the gospel. Ruling elders in our church like Josh and John and Justin may not have gone through such kind of training and extensive vocational training, but they can be trusted to open up the Bibles and to tell you the truth. People like Tim. Teaching elders... In our our church, we distinguish between what's called teaching elders and ruling elders. And teaching elders like myself and Pastor Garrett have gone through extensive formal training in seminary in order to understand and teach God's word. And together in this plurality of, of pastors and elders and teachers and overseers and shepherds of God's people, together we We give you the truth of God's word so that you can know it, walk in it, and be sharpened by it. We provide you this faithful understanding in order to combat against the waves and wind of doctrine. Human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful deceitful schemes. Sometimes we're strayed by confusion and ignorance, and we just need to be encouraged. Sometimes we're led away by deceit, and we need wisdom. Sometimes we're actually led away by our own imaginations and evil and wickedness. We need to be rebuked, corrected, challenged, and exhorted. God's word is meant to be an anchor in our lives in an age of confusion and lies and deception. And pastors are given to the church as a gift from God, not to force you into belief, not to coerce you or to compel you, but to teach you, to teach what God desires, to invite you into faith, and to convince you into repentance where there is sin. When, when, when pastors teach, the church begins to respond. Right, when we teach God's word, we, we cannot be left unchanged. Every time we gather on Sunday and come to the scriptures, we can't just take it and say, well, that was nice, wasn't it? But whenever we receive God's word, we are meant to leave as different people, responding to it in faith, engaging in faithful ministry. And this is the pattern of a beautiful picture of God's discipleship plan that he gives gifts to the church and we receive his word, we respond to that word, we encourage one another and are sharpened by our faithfulness. And then that fuels us just to continue to to serve and to use our gifts faithfully. This is a picture of the church working together, the picture of the church being built up together. Pastors don't only uh, equip the church for ministry, or to teach what God says, but we also are called to set a godly example to you. That's our third one, to set an example of godliness. You might be surprised, really, I think, when you, read the, when you look in the Bible and you look for the job description of a pastor because you'll see a far greater emphasis on the character of a pastor than his function and responsibilities. I mean, it would be fairly easy if the uh, the if Christ and the the early uh, the New Testament writers just put in some good, good practical qualifications here for a pastor. Spearheaded mission trips, you know, with hundreds of converts. Built houses for the poor in southern Athens. Started several orphanages. Successfully, you know, orchestrated the merger of two smaller churches into one larger church. There's no. Of, these, of what we might see as these executive leaders in the business world. We're not given qualifications of those who have, have had uh, training in the world and know how to run a business. And that is because pastors are, I want to say this like five times. <laughs> pastors are not a special breed of Christian, but a Christian among Christians pointing Christians to Jesus by his teaching and his example. We're not special breed. We're not specially inclined to know God or worship him or to be used by him. We are Christians receiving a gift from God among other Christians who have received a gift from God using our gifts to build up one another, to expend energy, to serve for the purpose of being built up into the fullness of Christ which is our high calling There is nothing about a pastor that ought to be looked up to and admired except for his exemplary love for Jesus. What are some examples of this kind of godliness and examples of godliness? Paying close attention to their personal walk with the Lord through devotion and prayer. Pursuing intimacy with God through regular Bible study, a hunger for God's word, a promotion of sound theology, an increasing desire to apply the gospel repeatedly over and over again and increasingly to different areas of their own life and circumstances. And maybe, and maybe this should be even influenced and emphasized more, showing you an example for how to confess when we are wrong and how to repent of sin When we are unfaithful, the call of a pastor is not perfection, but faithfulness in all of the circumstances of what it means to be a Christian, in our pursuit of good, but also in our recovery from sin. Pastors are an example for how to biblically agree, agree, and how to forgive, and how to reconcile, and how to work through differences with people, how to speak truth in love, as Paul says, how to correct with gentleness. And here's maybe the most important role of a pastor, and it's really to understand here the real leader of the church in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head pastor, Jesus Christ. Paul is about to tell us the real leader of the church to answer the question, who's in charge, who's leading, whose influence matters in the church The true leader of the church, the true head of the church is Jesus. Why? Because because he is the one, the only one, who truly equips us with the gifts that bless us and help us to bless one another. We are told that we are given these gifts from who? From Jesus himself. He is the one who gives us these gifts as he deems appropriate. You've been given your gifts and strengths as a direct deposit from the heart of Jesus himself. He has written your name on it. He has wrapped it for you. He has given it to you with great joy. He gives this grace to us. He's the giver of grace. You and I require this grace to be of any true value to the calling of the church. Jesus is the true head and leader of the church because He is the one from whom we would depend on everything. He's the one who gives us all these gifts, but also He is the one who teaches us perfectly. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He is the one who speaks truth. He is the one who is truth. He is the one in whom there is no deceit, no lie. In all of my preparation, in all of my study and training, in all of my preparation throughout the week, my words will be imperfect and tainted by my own error. Many times I'm not even aware of. But Jesus is the word of God, the perfect, true, and imperishable word of God. He speaks to us and his words give us life. It cannot be me, the true head, because I am not the true word, but we go to the true word of God. Seeking to come under its authority and direction in our life. Submitting to it with humility and zeal and courage. And Jesus is the true example of perfect godliness. He's the perfect son. He's the one who obeyed God's commands perfectly. He is the one who never needs to ask for forgiveness. He is the one in whom there is no darkness. He is the one who is the great example of our obedience. No elder, no pastor, no deacon, no team leader can be that for you. He is the one who's truly most perfectly, the example of true sacrifice and service. One who has been given for the benefit of others. He gives himself to us, most perfectly shown at the cross as he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sin, not seeking to gain his own glory or own comfort, but he empties himself of all that he was entitled to He empties himself of all of that privilege for you. The perfect example of love. The perfect example of what it means to give energy, ultimate energy, in order to serve others. He gives his very life. And so then he calls us to follow him. He calls pastors to encourage you to follow him. And Paul says elsewhere, he says, follow me. As I follow Jesus. So, who leads in the church? Well, lots of people. Your pastors, your elders, various ministry leaders, men and women, even children. There's some in the preschool room right now. I went in there reading books to little ones. We use our gifts to build up one another, and we fail at times. But Jesus leads us and he doesn't fail. And he, as Paul tells us in verse 13, assures us that we will attain the fullness in Christ. Full maturity in faith. Full maturity in faith is not to reach the status of a pastor. It doesn't say here that, hey, pastors have been given to equip you for ministry, to teach you God's word, and one day you may have the chance to be a pastor yourself. He didn't say that at all. <laughs> he says, no, you will grow to be like Jesus. To learn the way of Christ is to learn the way of the cross. How to endure suffering, how to serve sacrificially, how to love your neighbor, how to love your family, how to share the gospel, how to endure criticism, how to be generous with those who don't deserve it. Because this is the way Of Jesus, our pastor, the head of the church, our good shepherd. So watch your pastors, but not too closely. (laughs) Trust your pastors, but not too much. Trust Jesus, follow him, follow us as we follow him. Watch us as we teach the way of Jesus, who is our real real leader. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.